When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Please note this episode contains some emotional content, including discussion around suicide, and may not be suitable for all listeners. He was lying. He wasn't him in that, like he's smiling in that picture, but behind that is this other life. Hello and welcome to How Did We Get Here? I'm Claudia Winkleman here with my great friend, clinical psychologist, Professor Tanya Byron. In this podcast, we look at some of the difficulties people face in their daily lives, either personally or with their families. Tanya talks to people in one-to-one sessions whilst I'm listening in from another room. In the break and at the end, I ask Tan a bit about her process and we explore the issues that are raised. This time, we meet Claire, a 22-year-old student who has been facing mental health challenges for a number of years. She's had some professional help, but feels she hasn't got a complete diagnosis and is confused about how her difficulties can be managed. When Claire was 11, her father was arrested in front of her and was subsequently imprisoned for fraud. Claire's world was turned upside down, her lifestyle changed, and her family fell apart. It's like a soap opera. But, like, I think I've probably even seen Coronation Street at that age, and it was like, you just don't think that stuff happens, but it obviously does. What you're about to hear are the key parts of a one-time, unscripted session with a real person. We follow up with our guests after the recording, passing on links and contacts, some of which you will find in the programme notes of this episode. Before we meet Claire, please note that she starts our chat speaking very, very fast as she tells her story. Tan then helps her to realise this and slow down. Okay, let's go and meet her. Claire, thank you so much for coming in. No problem at all, no problem. Why are you here? Um, I feel like I've had depression now for 18 months nearly, so it's been quite a long time. I had a kind of episode when I was younger as well for like a year. So it's really kind of impacted my life and especially trying to get a degree. What does it feel like when you're in it? Oh, it is so consuming. It's kind of, for me, like, it get when you get to that point where, like, it's easier to sleep rather than being awake and having to, like, be so consumed and overwhelmed by all these, like, negative thoughts. So it is, when people say it's like a dark cloud, that's kind of what it's like. I feel like even if you're functioning to some degree, it's always still there. It's always just, like, so negative and dark. How are family and friends? Family, for me, is a difficult one. It's kind of, I definitely find it easier to speak to my friends about it than family. So I've got quite a small family anyway, but then my mum, brother, and that's kind of really it. We just don't have that sort of relationship in a way, which is a shame because it would be nice to sort of think that would be one element of support, then friends, then kind of external. Is that because they don't understand it? That has kind of always been a massive kind of shove everything under the rug in my family. It's always no one really deals with anything properly in that way. Like we don't really speak um, on like a deeper level. So I think I've always, because growing up like that, I suppose then for me it feels really abnormal and uncomfortable to them. You want answers? Yeah, just maybe more answers and kind of how to live with it a bit better, really, and deal with it. I'm going to say something really odd now. You are beautiful, bubbly, incredibly articulate. I'm not saying that you don't have depression. Of course you do. But have you got very good at 
covering. Yeah, yeah. and it's, I feel guilty for that because it's like people in my family aren't the most honest people in the world. So I've always kind of grown up thinking like, honesty is the best policy like it is. But I think this feels like a crime. It feels like I've like done something and then I haven't told anyone about it. And it's like, I'm just living this like false reality. That's, yeah. that's knackering. It is exhausting. I think because that's the part of my personality that I've always had that I like in the sense of being bubbly and chatty. And my mum's exactly the same like that. But then when I've been obviously very low and depressed and not leaving the house and very isolated, like I'm then that person. But then I just get confused of who I am. Like now, because yes. I, with depression, I feel like you do just sort of lose yourself. And yeah, it's very complicated, isn't it? It's it is complicated deep. and as I say masking is exhausting and might not be I don't know enough and thank goodness the professor is here might not be getting to the root because if we pretend we're fine mm. and we're not fine I've definitely tried to learn to be more authentic with it over time um, but it's been that's something I've actually found quite hard does it manifest itself in any other ways are you very organized do you suffer from anxiety do, do you tidy I mean yeah you- I'm very like perfectionist I feel like from when I was young I've always been you know you academically like wanting to strive and do well in that area and I think I didn't have anything else that I was really like really passionate about or really like a goals in any other way it's like what else have I got going for me like what else because I think whatever was- you do you're going to be brilliant at it thank you no I, I mean so. it I, I mean so. it I hope you run the world you're so sweet um, no I mean it I'm going to get the professor You're saying I need clarity about mm. my mental health and well-being. I need to understand it better. People are saying, "Oh, have you thought about this? If you, you know, bipolar, of autism, <laughs> PTSD." And I'm who's, thinking, who's saying all know. this to you? Well, either counsellor, people at uni, GP. Be really cautious of people who think they understand mental health mm. and start throwing mental health diagnoses around. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, if you had a physical health problem, you wouldn't really take advice from someone who had a first aid training. So I think, number one, let's just be clear that in order to understand things, we have to really be careful of what we read, how we use our search engine online the forums that we're going into, the labels that are thrown around. Second thing then is something about a diagnosis anyway. Mm. Because my sense is you sort of know that the th- what you struggle with is depression because mm. you've experienced it. Yeah. It sounds to me like you also know that you've also struggled with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now I look back, I'm thinking, you know, I was probably an anxious kid as well. But definitely in the last year, I feel like I became anxious of anything because I think I was just so withdrawn for so long. So it sounds like, from what you're describing, anxiety's been around since childhood. Mm. The anxiety's still there. It's Mm. exhausting. And depression then might just roll in. Sometimes depression is a way of just going, (sighs) stop. Yeah. Okay, it's me, Claude. Um, You said to her, which I'd never heard before, depression can often appear almost as a way of coping. Can you tell me a bit more about that? People who struggle with clinical depression will describe it as a sense of feeling numb, Mm. unable to function. It's almost like, sort of psychologically, you just shut down. Right. And 
that is a way of coping as much as drinking, you know, half a bottle or a bottle of whiskey every night or self-harming or overeating or going and just beating people up because it's a way of almost narcotizing oneself from the pain of the reality of whatever the experience that sits behind is. Depression can feel like a big duvet that you just wrap yourself in. And actually, that's often when people become very unwell with depression, that's often what will happen. They can't get out of bed. Yeah. She said it's just easier to sleep. You Sleep is the most amazing avoidant mm. response, isn't it? And people can get so unwell, they sleep all the time, they stop eating, they stop showering. It's, it's really hard and that's why we have to be so careful when we say oh i'm so depressed no no no, that's not depression depression is is a really really difficult experience to live with but sometimes it might be the only thing that somebody can do when the pain is so great and the confusion is so great it's almost like checking out for a while yes back to the session i think the label really that you need is Claire, you. Mm. I think we need to put you up front and we need to then think about all the different aspects of you. Bubbly, intelligent, you know, doing a vocational university degree, going into a fantastic career. Mm. You know, you're a daughter, you're a a sister, you know, you're Mm. a friend. Mm. And then we also say she struggled with anxiety from childhood and she's had a bout of depression in her mid to late adolescence mm. because the anxiety's never really been fully understood. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's true. And I would like to suggest that maybe that's all you need to know. Really what we want to focus on, yeah. how can you manage it? Yeah. But w- when you were talking to Claude, and obviously you weren't just met her and this is all new and you're being terribly brave. And you're the youngest person we've talked to, so oh. we're really proud of you for being here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank no, I'm really proud. But your speech rate is off oh, yeah. the scale. It's so fast. But have you noticed how you've slowed down since we've talked? Mm-hmm. One of the things I was thinking as I walked in here is, I'm going to talk more slowly than I normally do mm. because I want to bring Claire down. yeah. But you're moving so fast in quite an anxious way mm-hmm. that it's impossible really for you to centre yourself enough to go, yeah, let me just really think about this. Mm-hmm. Often mental health issues can come out of significant life events or things that have happened to us that have just totally sort of wobbled us, my instinct is there's a story there is there a story yeah the main thing for me was when I was 10 so up until that age very nice childhood like very kind of spoiled maybe but in not in a kind of awful way um sort of privileged comfortable yeah privileged way tell me about your family you got mum dad mum dad well used to be my mum dad and my twin brother and then when I got to 10 there's just one morning and I was in bed and like there was a massive loud knock at the door but like someone's going to break the door down, kind of knock. And I was thinking, what is that? And my mum and dad answered and police like came barging in and arrested them both. And In front of you and your brother? In front of me. My brother was still in bed. I wish I'd stayed in bed. 
Yeah, so that was tough, but I think... Tough? That must have been terrifying. It was terrifying. Was there a lot of noise? Were your parents very distressed? Mm. So then it kind of calmed down a little bit, but then obviously there's still like three or four policemen in our house and loads of police vans outside. Um, Also, everybody saw the neighbours. So that's very humiliating as well, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. and it's a very small street. It's like a little cul-de-sac, so it's kind of one of those where everyone knows each other's business anyway. I, I remember even at that age kind of going through it and thinking something's obviously gone on like you don't just have that happen for no reason but then he can't have what's he done like he can't have done anything and you're tearing up now yeah and what's what what, just just, let's just pause a second why are you scared of feeling sad now because when i hear you tell me that i imagine a little girl in her nightdress fast asleep quite calm and happy suddenly there's this loud crash all these big adults come running in loads of noise and your little heart must have been racing desperately trying to work it out in your head racing 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 when you're saying to me just tell me my diagnosis I need to know am I this am I that am I that I feel like you're back to that 10 year old brain again going what's going on is it this is it that is it this oh dad's probably just knows something but he hasn't done anything wrong yes yeah how sad Mm. I feel like I want to go and sit next to her on the stairs and put my arm around her and give her a cuddle because she must have been terrified. Yeah, me too. I think it was just... It's like a soap opera, but, like, I think I've probably even seen Coronation Street at that age and it was like, you just don't think that stuff happens, but it obviously does. To you, it's like, no, like, it can't. Like, I've I've had this life for 10 years that's been very, like, nice and... And then a bomb goes off. Yeah, and especially when you've not been brought up in a family in a way where there's been you know, people going to prison. Like, it's not a usual thing. It's not... We're not from, so is that what happened? Yeah, mum sat us down and my mum's mum was there um, and sister were close to them and told us and it was like, yeah, he stole all this money from um, a company that he worked at over, like, kind of a 10-year period. And was it a lot of money? A lot of money. I think it's 800 grand or 850 oh, grand. So near big, a million. Big fraud. Yeah, yeah, big fraud. And that's when the person you've known for 10 years, like, he's not that person that day just changed it all it was kind of like 10 years of something and you're probably tearing up now aren't you yeah it's sad yeah tell me about that sadness because you lost your father Mm. also you suddenly realized he wasn't who you thought he was Mm. i'd look at the like photos of us from them previous 10 years and just be like he was lying he wasn't him in that like he's smiling in that picture but behind that is this other life and I'm sure it was horrible for him to even live in like I can't even imagine that obviously it was his bad decision but having to kind of carry that round and then ever since as well he's kind of always been like I did it for you guys because then we could have a better lifestyle and we did have a nice lifestyle Mm. so then I've been pinned with the blame of it I suppose a little bit which is kind of I know he's not done it intentionally because he's trying to say oh I did it for you and probably trying to make it better but then obviously then that becomes my problem it's sad because it felt like he died that's kind of the way to describe mm. it even though he's he's alive and the relationship you had just died and it's just not really one that I would have expected to die at that age because like we were so close for them 10 years and I was kind of typical like daddy's girl sort of thing and my brother was more um a mummy's boy so I think so that's kind of tough mm. it's extremely sad but death is an interesting way of describing it I think you're really describing it well Mm. literally that day it was like a massive bereavement a bereavement of your life as you knew it Mm. your dad as you knew him 
Yeah. Just that sense, your reputation as a family in the in the community, mm-hmm. amongst your friends. You know, you've seen pictures of him in the paper and then your street is on the paper, like your address and descriptions of your house. And it's like, it's just crazy. He's kind of gone off the scene. So then it's just my mum left, which obviously she's amazing, but we've never then had that relationship either. So then I've kind of been left with no parent I suppose to like have them conversations with about my where I'm at if that makes sense yeah I find that tough I think yeah you feel on your own yeah and you're fast 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 and you're looking looking what's my diagnosis what's my diagnosis because I think if you slow down like you are now so painful isn't it yeah like you know I've already got depression as it is I don't want it to drive me into a but what if sure but what if the depression is actually because you're not really going there Mm. And you talked to Claude a bit, didn't you? You said about masking. Mm. And you've just (laughs) described someone else in your family who masked. And Mm. you used the phrase just now uh, when you were describing your father and the whole family set up before that day when the police came barreling through the door as a false reality. Mm, that's a good point it's a real parallel there isn't that. it <laughs> sorry I've never thought about it like that and it's really spot on I think I've got a lot of my dad in me which kind of scares me I think it does quite honestly because it's like what does that even <laughs> like where does that leave me like and even though he's got some probably great traits but then at the same time he's kind of quite compulsive and has like gambling addiction and things I know I've got quite an addictive personality I feel like that's probably one of them which I've not thought about masking where you're similar to your dad is you mask yeah it is a false reality Mm. and you struggle to really be able to be comfortable with who you are yeah hence looking for a diagnosis Mm. but i've tried to i've had to get a little bit better i think at being kind of more authentic as such because being so mentally unwell i couldn't even hide it like if i could and I've probably found that tough in itself. When couldn't you hide it? What happened? I was, I've been a point suicidal. It's not, it's never been like I want to die. It's been more just, mm. I just can't live like that anymore. And that's why I kind of get sad for him because I'm like, how does he live in that reality still? Like he's still kind of false, I feel like, because he's never really got help for it. He's not really, he's always kind of deflected. I think I feel bad for him, which I think most people don't. Like they're just so over it. And like my brother, he's just kind of, like, we'll just, you know, <laughs> forget about him like it's fine. But I can't because I do feel like a responsibility. But then I, he's let me down a lot as well. So it's kind of like after that day, he's lived like 10 minutes away on the train. Him being so close, why is this not gone back to how we were? Do you think before? for him it could be shame? Maybe. I mean, you must know that he, what he did was wrong, but he doesn't always seem to... He's never really apologised for it. You can't really apologise for something if you don't take responsibility for it, can you? That's true. But yeah. I, I feel like you miss him. I think You miss the, you know, from birth to ten mm. relationship, the yeah, love, the I feeling. Um, Has he reached out to you? We'll go through phases where we'll have a relationship again for a year and then he'll do something else and it all goes back to the beginning. I totally understand why you're so confused. Yeah. The reality isn't this diagnosis X or diagnosis Y. The reality is, how do I release myself from the grip of anxiety and depression Mm. by being authentic? Yeah, it saddens me because I'm like, how have I 
turned out like him like that. But like, I suppose it's better realising it now. Perhaps you needed to have, you had to mask it for a while mm. because it's the only way to get through. Plus, it sounds to me like all your role models around you have been doing quite a lot of masking. Yeah. So yeah. what were you supposed to do? I mean, we can only do what we've been shown. It's true. But yeah. if you at 22 can take this conversation and empower yourself to let go of the mental health preoccupation from the diagnosis point of view yeah. and just be brave enough to look at that pain and that suffering and that loss and let the depression lift because you're allowing yourself to see clearly, mm. to find ways to manage your anxiety, and I'll talk about that with you later. You will have done at 22 what most people don't do in a lifetime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think we need to do two things now. I want you to write down in the break your authentic narrative. Okay. You could write it as a letter to that little girl on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Or you could write it to your dad, or you could write it to your mum. This isn't a letter you're necessarily going to send to anybody, but first of all, decide, who am I writing this to? And then I want you to summarise where we're at, and then let me hear that part of you after the break. Yeah. Do you, are you scared? Yeah, I am scared. Don't do it, darling. I don't want to no, worry I w- you. No, I will do it. Like, I, I know it's something that... It just needs to be done. Like, I, What are you I, afraid of? I don't know. No one breaks on my watch. In other words, I will look after you. Yeah. We speak truth, we empower ourselves. Just yeah. Because that this is who you are. You are a survivor. You are not a victim. You are a survivor. Let's it focus like on... A <laughs> I know you do. And I yeah. think that's what I want us to shift. Mm. Yeah. I'm happy. I'll do it. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. While you were talking to her, I did go on Claire's Instagram. She absolutely shares how she's feeling. She writes the story of her depression, really, from when it first struck, and these are the signs of depression, and these are the photographs I was taking of myself with depression. What, do, the photo- what do you mean, photographs? She took photographs of herself, tearful, very tearful. She was like, I send these to my friends. She was just obviously terribly low. Oh, I see, right. Is that helpful? 
It's yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think on one hand, it's vital. I think you know, it allows us to destigmatize the whole mental health agenda. Of course, and it means that people who are going through something, they won't feel alone. Exactly. They'll go, oh, this is happening to somebody else. Exactly. I'm not abnormal. It's an illness. I will seek help, hopefully. A hundred percent. So I really respect people who are really, you know, open about that. But I think there's, there is a, a line there, which is also how far you take it and how prevalent it becomes in terms of your major communications to, to the outside world, which social media is, you know, you're giving the world a window onto you and your life, in terms of whether it then becomes sort of significantly part of your identity. And, I, I, and I, I, it's interesting, actually, that you, you did look at Claire's Instagram because it sort of sits alongside what I was saying to her in this room. Were you looking when I was talking to her about identity? Then? Yes. Is that why you look? Yes. But I think it was also, I think it was you who were saying, just looking for a label, like, don't be defined by it. Mm. And she also said to you, that's how her father found out she wasn't feeling very well. It's also a way you communicate to people that you want to know, yes. but you don't know how to tell them. Yes. So that then links into the other bit of what she and I were talking about is this false reality that existed before the age of 10, it kind of still exists because nothing's really been talked about. I found it incredibly moving when you said, well, that's just a 10-year-old little girl and you're sitting on the stairs and you're seeing your dad, as Sylvia Plath would say, your bag of God, you know, your daddy's girl at the age of 10, being taken away by policemen. I mean, that's incredibly stressful. And I feel heartbroken for her because she has a shared experience with her twin and her mum. They haven't really spoken about it. And the only thing I think, and I might have got this wrong, that her dad said to her was, I did it all for you. Mm, so so yeah. she must be all alone, like a little balloon, just off by herself. That's quite a powerful way of saying it, a little balloon. Is that how you saw it when you heard her talk? That's how I felt. Because she's, I know she's a young woman, but to me, we've got big children now. She feels also very young to me. There is something about Claire that brings out a, a, quite a maternal feeling. Yes. Yeah. She's kind of still stuck yeah. at that 10-year-old girl, isn't she? Yeah. Crying, bewildered, confused. Bereaved. Bereaved. Yeah. As usual, you're amazing. I'm going to go and get her. While we were talking, Claude had a look at your Instagram. Mm. You do put quite a lot about mental health on mm. there, don't you? But you also sometimes post with yourself crying and stuff like that. So you're on. Yeah. Do you think maybe at some level it's a way for you to get the people closest to you to really understand how mm. affected you are because you're not able to tell them? Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's an inauthentic, authentic way of communicating. Yeah. yeah. And I say inauthentic, not because I think you're making it up, because you're clearly not, but actually it's not direct communication. Yeah. It just highlights the lack of authenticity within the family yeah. as well as your authenticity. The yeah. fact that this extraordinary event happened sort of 11, 12 years ago and your legacy has been anxiety and more recently quite significant periods of depression mm. which have led you to suicidal thinking mm -hmm. and it's never been talked about yeah more conversations need to be had which I think I've tried to do in my like kind of little 
makes you anxious. You've just taken a breath and you're yeah. tearing off, aren't you? Mm. Yeah. But there was a second point to the Instagram. Do you remember the other thing we were talking about before and I was saying, look, I don't want you to identify yourself so- solely in terms of your mental health mm. struggles. <laughs> and that sounds like I'm saying... yeah. Ignore it. And I'm not because obviously I'm a mental health practitioner and I'm all for conversation and openness and destigmatization. And that's why Claude and I are doing this podcast because this stuff needs to be talked about. Yeah. But it's me suggesting that maybe what you're portraying about yourself is too skewed in a direction that stops you focusing on the healthy parts of yourself. Yeah. We have to be careful that it doesn't become a self-fulfilling prophecy, that we then live that identity because then you'll never stop being depressed or experiencing depression because it's how you've decided you are as a a person. And I suppose I'm saying to you, why don't we just look at who you are? Yeah. So that's the letter. Yeah. So how did you do writing that? (laughs) Weirdly, I was kind of thinking in my head, I was like, do I do it to like myself? But I did it to my brother kind of strangely. Your twin brother. Yeah. I think it's because we've never had an actual conversation even in like a light-hearted way or whatever kind of way about what happened that day or that time your brother you said to me earlier has just completely rejected your father cut mm. him out and said you know he's an idiot whatever yeah. don't like him so he's cut off from he's the reality of how he feels in that way you've done it slightly differently through depression and and yeah. you know and those things that's how you've kind of avoided the actual feelings and the actual experience so it's it's interesting that Mm. the twins are doing it the same thing but but in different ways yeah I kind of wish I took his way but (laughs) but obviously no that's gonna bite him one day because which worries me a little but I wonder whether it's going to be quite difficult for him moving forward Mm. if not now when perhaps he becomes a father yeah so therefore this letter which I'm not saying necessarily you would send to him, but you would perhaps use as part of a conversation for him. This could also not just be the moment you empower yourself, but you begin to enable him to empower himself. Yeah. And I would suggest that's much more powerful than posting a photo of yourself crying. Yeah. So let's hear the letter then. Okay. I know we've never properly spoke about what happened with dad and I know it was 10 years ago now. So I do feel ridiculous and embarrassed that this is still consuming my life so much. I know you didn't visually see mum and dad getting arrested, but it will have been just as traumatic. I think that was the worst visual image I've ever had. I remember when mum and grandma um, told us, and I can't remember what you did, but I just ran without thought to my room, face planted the bed and I've never hysterically cried so much in my life. I remember even ripping dad off one of the photos we had of all of us in Mallorca. It made me question everyone in the family, to be honest, apart from you, and whether anyone else knew anything that was going on. I don't think you'll have even noticed, but in the last 10 years, I've become similar to dad in that way, living a lie almost. I've become so consumed in being overly anxious and putting the chatty, can't be phased front on that I've lost myself. I've lost that bubbly, smiley, stubborn kid that I always was. Inside, I felt like shit. Very lost, unloved by dad because our relationship has never gone back to the way it was, which I'd hoped for. And obviously, in the last year, feelings of helplessness have exacerbated with me having depression and anxiety issues. Considering we are twins and you mean the world to me, I don't know why we never had an honest conversation. The guilt I feel for having had suicidal thoughts in the last year. And then, <laughs> carry on. So finish it off now. How do you want to end it? Can we just speak more and have, like, honest 
conversation and go back to that and sort of me get an idea of where he was at and where I'm at and move forward really why are you tearing up when you're saying all this I don't know I think it's just because we haven't and I'm like it's so frustrating but which part of you are you contacting now the younger me (laughs) because it's like we should have gone about it differently then it shouldn't have taken 12 years now to get to this (laughs) and who's the one that's going to make that happen me and what does that make you I don't know. <laughs> no, think about what I'm asking. Honest, authentic for once. And extraordinary. Mm. You're completely calm, aren't you? More so, yeah. I really don't think you need to look anywhere else to try and work out who you are. Yeah. This is who you are. And for what it's worth, I think it's awesome. Now, I think one thing you've learned today and you've you you actually articulated it really well in the letter is this hyper anxious part of yourself and then crash into depression let's just look at very quickly ways in which you can manage that part of yourself because obviously these are ways that you've coped over the years so they're not just going to change because you've had this (laughs) moment of kind of understanding with me it might be good to look at lifestyle my gut instinct is your sleep can be a bit all over the place. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Okay. <laughs> it's really not great. If I was your therapist, we that's where I'd start with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to obviously go out and have, well, as much as anyone can, but, you know, yeah. do, do, do the uni stuff and everything. But I would create an amazing sleep routine. You could get a little sleep app on your phone so you have it by your bed. It can tell you how well you slept every night. Yeah, I could do this. I feel like I'm going to get, like... Five, six hours, which I mean... No wonder you're um, flipping speeding out then because you're living yeah. on adrenaline and mm. that's no, no good for anyone's mental health. So number one, sleep. Mm. Number two, exercise. And I'm not talking about going to the gym or anything like that. Next level. Some people hate that. Really good walks. Yeah. Really try at least three times a week to make it fast-paced, get the heart rate up, mm. all of that. Really helpful. Get lots of nice fresh air in and out of your lungs and all that yeah listen to a podcast there's some amazing mindfulness stuff audio you can get listen to stuff that's going to teach you to just clear your brain out we've all got to not think sometimes Mm. that was the first bit i wanted to cover off the second bit was something about your dad Mm. it feels to me like there's some unfinished business there for you yeah and it's definitely a conversation that we agree has to happen across the family it sounds to me and i think it's the right decision that you're going to start with your twin brother. Yeah. Maybe you then, and maybe you and him and mum might say, can we just go for a walk and we want to talk some stuff through mm. or whatever. I think you're, you, you're going to need to be much clearer and stronger in yourself to yeah. be able to do that. So I think starting with your brother and your mum, you've got a really good counsellor, haven't you? So, yeah, they can support, so they can support you with that. Mm. There are some charities that support families of prisoners or ex-prisoners in acknowledgement of the fact that mm. going to prison and coming out of prison can have a significant impact not just on the person who's been in prison but also on their families obviously yeah i would first of all contact these charities and see what they advise yeah that's really interesting i've not thought about that because it might be helpful for you yeah just and that might be quite empowering and you may actually end up in a support group for children of prisoners i mean but i feel like you need to place that somewhere and if in the end 
it isn't something that your father's able to do with you. Mm. I still feel it's a narrative that you need to find some closure on. Yeah. What was real is that you loved your dad and your dad loved yeah. you. And you have to hold on to that because you mm. couldn't have had that bond and connection with him unless it was authentic. Children can sniff out inauthenticity. Yeah. So he did love you. Yeah. He made a catastrophic mistake in his life, but he did love you. Yeah. You need to hold on to that. Definitely. Yeah. And maybe there is that part of him that you and he can reconnect on, mm. but I feel like you just have to work towards that. Yeah. Next, it then sounds like you're going to talk to your brother. Yeah. And that might take a few goes. He might initially, he hasn't had this experience with me, he might initially go, forget it, forget it, it's in the past. So you just take your time, maybe you send a version of that letter, whatever. Mm. I think at that point then, when you really understand and you feel like you've had some of those conversations with others, but mostly just the more you say it, the more you'll understand it, that's the point maybe you could reach out to your dad. Yeah. Perhaps via one of these charities. Yeah, that'd be amazing. So my final question to you is, in terms of how you define yourself, both in the real world and in the social media platform arena, what's going to be different when you leave me and Claude today? You can just be the real me. And also, I'm sure people aren't going to, like, hate on it. And I wonder whether your yeah. friends are going to be like, oh, hallelujah, welcome back, hallelujah. Just be clear that as we live an authentic life, obviously without the distraction of the kind of issues around anxiety, depression, we're actually then really feeling what we're feeling. Mm. Sadness and pain isn't the same as depression. Fear isn't the same as having an anxiety disorder. Mm. Be prepared to have those feelings sometimes, yeah. but don't automatically assume that you're going back into a depression mm. or an anxiety. Accept that those are normal feelings and that, you can sit with them, reach out to people for support, move through, yeah. and tomorrow's another day. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> you are right. You have such wisdom. Mm. I am so impressed by you. Thanks. And I don't say that often. Yeah. It's kind of weird hearing someone say it because I'm not really used to that. No. But, yeah. Start telling yourself. You are not the person you keep telling yourself in the world you are. You are an incredibly resilient, insightful young woman. Yes. Be that person and then look at what really needs to be processed. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming in. You're the best. Thank you. I want to talk to you about sleep. Yeah. Any tips you have, I will. Okay. I find the pressure of you've got to get eight hours is just too much. Yeah. So then what I want you to do, uh, what what are your hours at university? Um, so like nine till five as in like uni hours. Do you mean like in the day? Yeah, yeah nine till five. You have to be there nine till five. Yeah. That's annoying. Mm -hmm. Fine. What I want you to do then when you come back at five o'clock mm -hmm. is I want you not to put pyjamas on yeah. and not get under the covers, mm -hmm. but I want you to lie down on your bed. Interesting. For at least 45 minutes. You can't go longer because then we're, I mean, that's just risky. <laughs> but I need you, what I was taught... You get it when you can get it. 
You're not in at the weekend? No. Oh, I'm going to give you a schedule. If I had a laminating machine, <laughs> I would be so happy. So you probably wake up at the same time yeah, at the weekend, because even yeah. though we all go, you know, my 17-year-old's like, I'm going to sleep till midday. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. like, mm, actually, I'm quite hungry. Because you get into such a rhythm, I'm going to need you to have a proper nap. So okay. you can wake up at eight, definitely reach out to the people that you just love being with, that you don't have to be up with, but you can also be down with, you can be everything, you can yeah. just be Claire. You. But then if you arrange to meet for lunch, arrange to meet at two and get into bed at 12. And you go yeah. and you properly go to sleep. Like how long are we talking sleep? For? As long as you can at 12. Oh, it's not as risky. It's not the bungee jump of naps yeah. <laughs> at 5.30. And then you'll build up all that lovely sleep. So if on Tuesday you're out, you're drinking, you're having a laugh, not past 10, obviously, at the moment. No, but, yeah. you're, you know, you're with friends. Mm. If you do get five hours, that's all right. Because guess what? You've got an extra you four at the weekend randomly. Even if you lie there, no phone. Mm. You can listen to lovely music if you want. Close your eyes. I promise you you'll fall asleep because your body needs it. Yeah, that's true. And also yeah. just so you know, this is for everyone listening. When you wake up for a nap, you could eat an elephant. <laughs> so don't nap without food in the house. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Claude. That's actually so good. I'm going to do that. And yeah, I'll let you know how the whole sleep situation goes. And, and everything. So just controlling my anxiety a lot more. And Yeah, you know um, what? You'll be, you're going to just chat to your brother. Yeah. And you're going to chat to your mum. It'll be a great start. So it might be slow, but just... Let it percolate up. Yeah. Let it just be a little bit there That's in the true. conversation. It doesn't need to be this massive rush. And it never needs to be huge. Yeah. I often find if I want to say something massive, I say it a bit quietly, and yeah. just as an aside. And it kind of just yeah. it all just trickles in over time. And yeah. um, that thing, everyone responds to things differently, don't they? And I might be there thinking we can just have this huge conversation. And that's not often not the way life works. Yeah. yeah, they might they might feel much. like they might. I think your mum might feel guilty. Yeah. Here's my baby and she's been carrying this around and I thought the yeah. best thing was not to talk about it. Mm. So it can just be completely small. Yeah. I did it this morning. Can you pass me the marmite? Oh, I've ordered a dog. <laughs> That's how it works, Claire. That's how it works, yeah. That's the thing. I if totally you don't like it, you're I'm amazing. sending it to yours. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you actually can. I'll have a cat and a dog, like. Done. <laughs> Done deal. Uh, thank you so you're much amazing. Thank you so much. When Claire first arrived and I said, why are you here? She wanted to know what she had. There was something about that need to self-define around the conditions that she struggles with that inadvertently made them more entrenched. Yes. What was so interesting is she said, there were so many things. One that you said, is this, is this how you're telling your family? And she immediately went, yep. That's how I'm telling them, through through social media, because I can't pick up the phone and go, oh, can we all just acknowledge what we all went through because it was traumatic? Anybody remember that day? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I feel bad that I was sort of snooping, but that is a public account. And as you say, it will be helpful to many. She said, but she has another account where she's her upbeat self and, hey, let's do this. And what was so interesting, having spoken to you, she realised that she couldn't, she either had to be one or the other, or she had felt like that. Mm. And I wanted to say, but that's not how real life is. Absolutely. And I guess we have to remember she's just turned 22. Yeah, she's a baby. Yeah, so, and, you know, the brain, the prefrontal cortex doesn't stop developing till 24. So, you know, she's got this journey ahead. But it is, isn't it? I suppose it is a task in life, isn't it, when you kind of reach early adulthood, is you, you want to try and kind of find your authentic self and acknowledge all these different bits of you, but they all kind of live and work together rather than separating them out, yes. which is, I suppose, what, what you saw. 
Your sleep intervention was very good. So you know what? If you grab six hours at night, but you have an hour in the day, randomly, and if you have two hours, randomly... You love it, don't you? It's my happy place. Well, I know, because I know when you don't pick up your phone to me, I know where you are. Yeah, having a nap. I know you're having a nap. If I'm tired, the smallest thing can feel monumental. Agree. But if I wake up from a nap, boom! Hasn't all that nap chat, though, made you feel quite sleepy now? Can we snuggle up? You also said about food. You're absolutely right. Could you just kind of prepare something before we go and nap so we can eat after? Because it's vital. What would you make? Mm. Jacket potato. Perfect. Let's go. Put one in the oven. I'm going to throw this word out. Hummus. Oh, I love you, Claudia Winkleman. Let's go. And just a gentle nudge to say, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can rate and comment. And this is very important, uh, if you don't mind me saying so, please tell all your friends if you enjoyed it and share this. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in this episode, please see our programme notes for information about further support and advice. And if you're interested in taking part in future episodes of How Did We Get Here, please email briefly describing your issue to how at somethingelse.com. That's how at somethingelse.com without the G. Next time we meet Sophie. In general, the amount of effort you put in does equal results. But there is no amount of trying trying that i can put into this this podcast was made by the team at something else the sound and mix engineer is josh gibbs the assistant producer is grace laker the producer is selena ream and the executive producer is chris skinner with additional production from steve ackerman thank you so much for listening Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.